Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand-new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you can be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day, just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code SPREAKER to play for free. You can win part of $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code SPREAKER for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NGST weekly radio show. I'm your host, Joshua Zimmer, and always joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Montel Hardy. Montel, how are you doing this evening? I am doing just fine, Josh. Anytime we got some dubstep playing, you know, it's going to be a day. And <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I like the way we're starting, man. That's, I, was, I was waiting for the bass to drop, you know. <laughs> so i tell you what, man, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm fired up. Hey, there we go. Hey, you know what? I was thinking about the, uh, earlier today, and I was like, you know what? We got we got to throw a loop into some things. I know Montel likes the dubstep. When I played it earlier uh, in our broadcast uh, this year, I was like, why not? Why not bring it back? And and really, when you think about it, it, it kind of fits considering the time of year that we're in for sports right now, with the NHL playoffs, the NBA mm-hmm. playoffs. Uh, we're um, a crazy eight days away from the NFL draft. Whew. Let's go. I, I I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I already got the chills going. You know, I, I'm ready to go. Like, I feel like I'm getting ready for a game right now uh, after listening to just a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I'm with you. But the way, you know what, I was thinking about it today. I was like, you know what, we're, we're going to name a new segment. And so, for the first time ever on the weekly, we're going to do turn two which is basically going to be uh, us talking about baseball. If you couldn't get the uh, the wordplay there, uh, turn two, double play, big <laughs> bang, boom, no matter what, that's the way it's going to go. So, Montel, uh, i got to ask you, we were talking about it earlier uh, in the week, uh, I believe it was last night, 
those White Sox, man, uh, come down for, what, three runs? Three runs they scored in the bottom of the ninth? Oh, four runs they scored. Uh, three to tie and the fourth uh, for the victory. So, uh, yeah, man, a uh, heck of a ninth uh, inning rally uh, against the very decent uh, Cleveland team on that night. Hey, you know, and uh, you know, we can't we can't talk about the White Sox without talking about the Chicago Cubs. It, it just kind of you you know how it is, and partially because I'm a Cubs fan, and I know you're a White Sox fan, so I know it irks you. But that's just the the oh, honest God. It's like it's like talking Boston and New York. Uh, if you talk also, about one team, you know you got to so, talk about. So we can't talk about the, the late inning heroics here. I mean. Look, this this team is is coming around. Okay, they're they're six and eight. The Sox are they're six and eight, and I think you know uh, Samarz was finally hitting in stride. You know, he pitched very good today. You know, and so uh, and and the Sox went out and got another win against Cleveland. So just a thought here. You know, watch out for those Sox. Started off one four, you know, now six and four in the last ten ball games. So uh, hey man, better watch out. Well, uh, the Cubs will get rolling too though. I was going to say, apparently a team that everybody has to watch out with, uh, according to Fox Sports, are the L.A. Dodgers, uh, sporting a 9-3 and record. You know, uh, I'm not a big fan of these whole power rankings type thing, but anytime they release them, it's kind of cool to see kind of where people think powers really lie. And for that, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. I was really surprised by the fact that they had the Washington Nationals who have a six and seven record and who are currently, I believe, losing to the St. Louis Cardinals at number three. Uh, for for a team that has really uh, surprisingly had shaky, you know, has a, has a shaky outing, you know, on the mound, time in and time out, and then of course uh, they're con- consistently trying to find that one player to really lean on that, you know, everybody was expecting it to be Bryce Harper this year, but uh, he started to, you know, come on quick. He's had a good start to the year, but other than that, they haven't really had the pieces really fall for them yet. Out of those rankings, what was the team that really kind of surprised you out of that, out of that top five? Uh, I know the I know the Dodgers for me, I, I knew they were the ones that uh, I was kind of shocked about, uh, especially when you consider the New York Mets, and everybody's talking about the dark night, but nobody's talking about the fact they've won nine straight games. No, and and the Mets, I mean, well, the Mets to me are a team that people have kind of, you know, I don't want to say forgot about, but maybe they just dismissed from the beginning. But, you know, I I believe in this Mets team. Uh, First off, Bartolo Colon, I still don't get how this guy is, you know, doing what he's doing at age 40. I mean, he played for the White Sox, and, it looked like he's towards the, you know, he looked like he was on his last leg when he was a, you know, white sauce ball player. But went back to the National League, uh, just uh, some different lineups, and he's he's pitching really well for a guy that's forty. And uh, with him, it's all about velocity. He gets the fastball up over ninety. It sets up everything else he wants to do. Fastball's up around ninety, and now he's able to go with his breaking ball and his changeup, and uh, you know, he's able to get ground balls and outs, uh, you know, like it's nothing. Uh, you know. It, <laughs> The stamina too, you know, he's not always going to be a five or six inning guy. He can go seven on occasion. So, uh, I'm floored by it, but that's what it is. You know, the Mets are eleven and three right now, and uh, this is a team that's, uh, you know, they're, they're looking good. And uh, I think it's, you know, they're not 
hitting the ball the way uh, I thought they would, but they're good enough. Um, I think one of the weirdest parts is say a guy they thought they'd lean on and Curtis Granderson has struggled out of the gates, but you know you look across the diamond and you see a guy like a Michael Kadire who's you know hitting about 300. You got some clutch RBIs for him, so you know they're getting some production in some different areas from guys that you know maybe they didn't like expect it for you know expect it from from the beginning. So uh, this is a dangerous team because when those guys they actually pay to produce uh, start getting good. I think that's when uh, you know you better watch out. You're going to have some uh, some very powerful uh, hitters uh, carrying this team. Yeah, you know, and the biggest thing with those, you know, you mentioned Kadire, you, you mentioned Granderson struggling. The one guy who's really been kind of putting the team on his back in terms of uh, at the plate has been Lucas Duda. You know, their first baseman batting three twenty seven, uh, leading the team in the RBI category. Like I said, you know, I'm happy to see that we both kind of fall in line with the Mets. And before I turn it to another team, I do have breaking news. Addison Russell, the Cubs' number two prospect, who was called up last night to play against the Pittsburgh Pirates, just had an RBI single for his first major league hit. So, hey, the stars are starting to shine, man. Uh, It's kind of cool, Uh, not just because I'm a Cubs fan, but it's kind of cool to see throughout the league some of these young guys really show up. Um, which brings me to uh, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, out of that power rankings, they're ranked 10th. Um, I was a little surprised. You know, I thought, honestly, uh, I thought they were going to be a little bit lower. Uh, I was thinking maybe anywhere between the 12 and 13 range. But you look at some of the production that they've had at the plate so far. You know, uh, Chris Bryant, since he's come up, is 8 of 18, batting 444 with a couple RBIs. You know, Starling Castro is leading the team uh, in batting average with 358, two home runs. And then, of course, Anthony Rizzo, their first baseman, who's really showed up out of nowhere the last couple of years to really become some sort of a star for them, is batting 302 with the home run himself. Uh, Dexter Fowler, you know, the addition that we added this year, uh, struggling a little bit, batting 200. Um, but I tell you one guy. The one guy that nobody's talking about about the Chicago Cubs, and you should know this because you live in Chicago, Jake Arrieta. What about this kid, man? Everybody talks about John Lester, but everybody forgets about Jake Arrieta and the fact that he has a 1.7 ERA with eight strikeouts. Well, uh, you know, he, he's been great. He's, his stuff has been electric all year, and I think it's been surprising uh, in the eyes of many. Uh, you know, the Cubs, they need a guy that they can lean on to get those tough outs, and I think Arietta's really taking strides at, you know, coming out there and, and doing what they need him to do. So they uh, they miss production like that uh, from their pitching staff, and I think they're going to be fine with this kid. I think he can really pitch. Uh, he's got a nasty breaking ball. Uh, I just think the key here is uh, the more he plays and, you know, as they, uh, you know, they chart these pitchers, see what they like to do, um, you know, how does he evolve after people lock in on those tendencies? Yeah. And we talk about, you know, we were talking about young names. You know, I, I brought up, you know, Addison Russell, Chris Bryant, uh, very notable names. But it wasn't only a year ago where we had, you know, basically the stars align in terms of, you know, the, the young guys. You know, Manny Machado really stepped up, uh, you know, before he was hurt. You, of course, had Mike Trout, who has basically become – uh, the new, I'm going to call him the new Derek Jeter of baseball. Um, this guy's plastered on just about anything that has to deal with the majors. I, I know that it's a little bit of a hot day. I know. 
it's a little bit of a, it's a little out there, but you, you really sit back and look at it. I mean, this kid is basically the major league baseball has found their new golden child. Uh, they had it with Derek Jeter. They had it with Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, biggest notably with those two is that they were guys that were able to stay clean, so they knew that they could really market around these guys. And Mike Trout is a guy who so far hasn't failed a drug test, uh, seemingly good person in the community. Oh, and it helps that he's, a, you know, basically a monster on the field. Uh, when you look at the way he played last year, um, he basically, you know, everybody forgets that he came in the same class as, you know, Chris Bryant and Harper. Everybody forgets that. Everybody remembers Bryce Harper. But this kid showed up out of nowhere, and everybody's like, wow, okay, like now we gotta, now we got to take notice. And, you know, the same thing can be said for Manny Machado. He's really on a comeback year this year, you know, having that injury last year and really just not playing Manny Machado-type baseball, you know, for the Orioles. So it's really, for me, that's probably the more exciting thing about baseball um, is that you get to see kind of the young stars. Um, I don't know if it's like that for every sport with me. I mean, uh, you know, in the NFL, you can really pick and choose. But, uh, I mean, you, you know, you can grab a guy out of a hat in the NFL and they, they could be pretty darn good. But if it's in baseball, you, you're really, really testing the limits. I mean, there's a reason why everybody says baseball is probably the, the toughest, even though it's not the most physically grueling, it's probably the toughest professional sport to play just because so much goes into it in, in terms of a mechanics standpoint. Um but what's what's your take? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's your take on that? Well, uh, well, well, wait on which part? Because I know you brought up a couple things there. Which uh, oh, you, you know, know, with the with the minors, you know, like uh, yeah. you know, watching watching these young stars, you know, the, the top prospects. These guys are being plastered all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with that. Oh uh, yeah. Um, well, minors, you know, it's hard because. Uh, well, at the moment, they kind of get, you know, the good and the bad. You know, people say, oh, hey, Alphum is just a kid, of course, but if that kid it gets that big hit in the bottom of the ninth, you know, he's a grown man, you know. So uh, they get, they'll they get the best and the worst. Uh, but that's that's the game for you, you know. Uh, they could, Fans can, you know, put you up higher on the highest pedestal, and they can also make you feel very, very low. Uh, I don't think uh, in terms of media attention and hype, uh, that it's it's a bad thing. I mean, this is why you play, so people can notice you, so you can become a star, and so you can make the big money. And uh, you got to remember, these guys are on these minor league deals deal still, so they want to come in and, and, and you know, grow and, and get some staying power so that way their team uh, breaks the bank to sign them and, and to keep them. And uh, so this is building towards that. The uh, only thing is let's not, uh, you know, uh, jump on these guys too early. Uh, consistency is nice. Uh, putting together a couple of great months, uh, weeks, years—that's that's how you become a, a you know, a, a, not just a franchise ball player, but you know, the face of Major League Baseball or one of the more popular names. So, uh, you know, obviously, I just hope it doesn't go to their heads. But this is this is a part of the game, and uh, let's uh, you know, let's put it in perspective. Though it's it's opening month. Uh, let's let's get into you know let's let's get you on the grass in July and August when it's 100 degrees everywhere and and then things matter. Yeah, you know that's and that's why I'm kind of I'm from a cup you know, again you know from a Chicago standpoint because this is really where all the hype is surrounding anyway. Uh, 
that's I'm very pleased to see the way the fans are are kind of reacting with Chris Bryant. Uh, <laughs> if everybody remembers, and if, and if they don't, uh, I'll remind you. He didn't have the greatest opening call up, you know, welcome to the big show. Uh, you know, going, you know, 0 for 4. I believe it was, you know, three strikeouts. You know, the, the kid struggled at the plate. But, you know, the, the fans, you know, they didn't boo him. Everybody, I mean, you of all people will know just how hard it is to be, a you know, a, a sports fan in Chicago and how ruthless, the, you know, the fans are. Um, you know, I've always judged it as a fan base that can love, love a team and hate a team in the same day uh, and even in the same game. Um, so I, I was really kind of taken back in a positive note to see the way that they kind of, you know, hey, you know, let this kid, let this kid develop a little bit. Let him, let him get his feet wet, you know, let the hype kind of die down on him a little bit. Uh, let him get used to actually being in the majors and, and having cameras stuck in his face every, you know, every time he's, you know, at BP or, you know, taking ground balls and, you know, for warm-ups and, you know, two weeks from now, it, it would be a bigger issue. Um, if he's batting the way he is now, but the fact of him batting eight for eighteen with four forty four, uh, and I have the game on TV right now. I'm keeping an eye on all the scores. Uh, you know, of course, with the NHL playing too. Uh, he's not playing bad. Uh, he's one for one tonight so far. You know, and it's a, you know two one game. You know, against the Pirates. So we'll, um, you know, we have to basically just kind of sit back and relax and let this go. But. Uh, I know because you you, you kind of hesitated a little bit, so I do want to go back to this before we forget. When I said Mike Trout is basically the new Derek Jeter for major leagues, uh, hot take me on this one because I, I know you're I know you were probably itching to, to say something about that. Uh, what, what's your take on how the basically Mike Trout has become exactly what I said? You know. Major League's golden boy. I mean, I just, you know, you, you got to, you know, win something, right? I mean, <laughs> he, he's a great hitter, and he's a great ball player, and he's going to do, I think I think he's going to do some fantastic things uh, in time. But uh, to me, you look at the team, and you look at, you know, what have they won? Where have they gone? You know, what, have you, you know, what, what, what is he doing? And so, uh, you know, Mike Trout is a winner. But his team, you know, hasn't really done a whole lot. You know, the Angels were built to succeed. Uh, they went and got a Pujols, right? I mean, so they, they did this to try to, you know, get things going and, and get the hitting up. But he's outproducing uh, Pujols, which I would give him total credit for. But, I mean, still, you know, to put it in perspective, I mean, he's one of the better players in baseball. Yes, totally. One of the bright rising stars of baseball. Yes, totally. But – in my opinion, you gotta you gotta be a winner. Um, and don't get me wrong, he's won a lot of individual statistics, right? I mean, uh, I guess I'll go the LeBron route. You know, the guy won AL MVP last year. Um, I'm sure he's what two time, three time All Star. Uh, he's won a you know a ton of things, Rookie of the Year and all that. But uh, what, what's what's your team doing? You know, and uh, can you can you put the team on your back and win? To me, that's how you become, I think, the face of. Uh, the, the face of a, you know, of, of a league. Um, Derek Jeter, he won. And that's not just, you know, individual awards, but, he, you know, he went to World Series. A few played well, 
you know, and a few of these in clutch moments. And and so uh, I think, you know, he's going to need to at least get to uh, a series uh, to, to get that title, uh, basically. And, you know, the more I think about it, uh, you know, this is a guy who uh, can do better and, and play better in time. And I think – you know, he's a great ball player. But, there, you know, in baseball, there's a lot of, uh, you know, great players who all are on the rise. Uh, we were talking about guys being caught up just the other day. And, Josh, you know, you conveniently left out how my guy Carlos Rodon was called up. And this is a it's a pitcher who can really do some things, in my opinion. I mean, A, the Sox need help on the back end of the, the rotation, and they could maybe use some bullpen help too. So uh, I've decided that if, if they can call up Rodon this early, which, you know, might be a little bit of panic, but this is a guy who can really play. You know, he's a 22-year-old pitcher from Miami, Florida. He's on left-handed. The Sox are loaded with left-handed pitching, by the way. But, uh, you know, I've I've been watching some of his, uh, you know, some of his uh, stat lines and games from, you know, back in early uh, high school to college, and he's been virtually unhittable for a great deal of his career. Um, as a freshman at NC State, nine and zero with a one five seven ERA and uh, freshman record, one hundred and thirty five strikeouts and one and just uh, forty three walks in one hundred and seventeen innings. I mean, the guy's nasty, <laughs> you know. Simple as that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now the, the the plan here is for uh, Rodon to work out of the bullpen, the same way the team kind of used Chris Sale. But uh, when he made his debut uh, yesterday, he pitched two point one innings. Now he gave up a couple of runs. And walk the guy, but uh, you know he struck one out too. So you know it, it's it's a process, you know, going from double A to major leagues. But uh, watch out for Rodon, man. Like this will be a guy who you know may sneak his way into the rotation and, and really produce. Yeah, and and we're being joined now by my other co-host, my IQ out of Boston, Mr. John Dusset. John, how you doing this evening? Hey, did you ever watch a game in the snow? Uh, you know what? I'm actually watching MLB Network right now, keeping an eye on all the scores, and because they're showing the Cubs game. And yes, I have been watching a game in the snow. Um, kind of amazing, I isn't it? Or watched a professional game in the snow, that's for sure. But it certainly looks entertaining. Well, you know, you, you, you're always looking for the entertainment value when when you're doing something like that. I just find it interesting that they're actually playing a game in the snow as opposed to. Uh, uh, not playing at all, but I guess uh, with the weather being what it is in Detroit and they're playing a day game down there tomorrow, that I guess uh, it was something that they felt the need to do. Yeah. This I mean, probably won't get much better over the next couple of days unless you like to make it up in two to three months. Yeah. Well, you, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, neither team wants to play day and night doubleheader tomorrow. So you're going <laughs> to, you know. No, so, John, we're talking about. Uh, the young names that have been called up. Montel knows why I left out his guy, uh, partially because he's a, he's a White Sox. Uh, sorry. Uh, well, no, he, you know, Montel was talking about Carlos Rondon, and I saw him pitch last year at North Carolina State uh, in the ACC, and a, a left-handed dominant pitcher. He was their he was their number one starter. He was their Friday night starter, um, and had outstanding stuff and had excellent numbers at North Carolina State. And then when he didn't play, he was their first baseman and uh, was also a very good left-handed hitter as well. Uh, a kid that, uh, you know, if, if pitching didn't work out for him, his ability to play first base and his ability to swing the bat was something that also uh, Major League Scouts were very much interested in. Mm-hmm. Versatility, you know, I loved it to death. And uh, it, it just 
just dominant. I mean, I just, uh, you know, like I said, I saw the stat lines and some of the stuff, and it just seemed like, you know, uh, like I said before, uh, very difficult to hit for a great deal of his career. Yeah, John, he's, he's one of the very good ones, yeah. And, and the one that, you know, we, we talked about our guys. You know, I talked about how Addison Russell, you know, struggled his first night with three Ks against the Pirates, but he did get his first major league hit tonight. And then, of course, you know, Chris Bryant kind of starting to settle in a little bit, you know, batting 444. Uh, you know, during his duration. But uh, what about Mookie Betts? Uh, this is a guy that we talked about, you know, on opening day, who everybody was like, wow, like, who, who's Mookie Betts? And then now everyone's like, who's Mookie Betts? Well, look, let's face it. Look, now, now, all right, all right, all right, here we go. Look, Mookie Betts, the top of the Red Sox order, has been, uh, has, has had his struggles. Uh, a 200 batting average going into tonight's game, which, by the way, the, the local team is winning. Um, but his on-base percentage is not very good at 262. Uh, his, his slugging percentage at 345 is not very good. His, on, his OPS at 600 is not very good. Um, he's a guy that is, is expected to be the table setter at the top of that order, uh, to steal bases, to, uh, to get on base. Uh, he's not uh, being asked to, uh, to hit home runs. Uh, he is being asked to, uh, uh, to give a high batting average, which so far hasn't been. Uh, but he's played very good center field for this team, and the Red Sox. Oh, did we, uh, at least did we this lose point. John? No, I, I, Red... hear, I hear him just fine. Yeah. Um, okay. I, uh, well, I mean, you know, you know, I was thinking. I know he's a key catalyst for that offense, uh, but the Sox are still playing well. Uh, why don't you get into a little bit about why that is so? Well, because their offense is that good for the moment, and they're playing defense. Uh, the starting pitching has not been very good. It's it's had its hit and miss moments. Uh, their run average coming into this week was the worst in, in Major League Baseball as a starting group, uh, but yet they've still been able to win nine out of the 14 games that they played, and it's because they've been able to hit the baseball, score a ton of runs, and it really has made up for the deficiencies that the starting staff has so far provided. Now, again, I think this starting staff is, although it's, it doesn't have a clear ace, I think they're going to have their good stretches, they're going to have their bad stretches. This is not going to be a staff that's going to be in between anything. They're either going to be very good or very bad, but that bullpen, at least for the time being, is good enough to, uh, to also pick them up when they need it. It's just a question of, of getting length uh, from these starters uh, more often. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's why I, I, I was waiting for you, John, because I wanted to ask you about that because that's something that's been, you know, really itching with me and, you know, uh, been a big question, you know, for, for really for kind of a lot of – you know, baseball fans and Red Sox fans in general. Um, hey, hey, by the way, how's John Lester working out for you? You know what? Uh, <laughs> I, like I told you in the beginning, I was never really a, a super huge fan of the signing. Uh, I hope he plays well. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I was talking to Montel about it, the guy that I really liked going back to last year, who I thought was our number one guy but wasn't didn't obviously pitch out of the, out of the number one role, was Jake Arrieta. Who, who's been well, yeah, I agree. And, and Arietta oh. was a guy that when he was in Baltimore struggled, but uh, a change of venue has really changed his career around. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's pitched well for the, you know, for Chicago. And I, I've, like I said, he was a guy that I really liked last year. You know, him and Samarja, and you know, Edwin Jackson every now and then is pitching okay. Uh, Lester just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very hit or miss for him. I, I will say, I did watch the game on Sunday. Uh, you know, when they played the Padres. Probably one of the goofiest plays I'm ever going to see. He couldn't get the ball out of his glove, so he throws the glove to Rizzo. And Rizzo had the knowledge to really drop his glove and 
and catch Lester's at the same time while cupping the ball to make sure the ball didn't pop out. Uh, it was kind of a you know kind of a crazy play. He didn't pitch bad in that game, but he didn't pitch great either. Uh, he was basically average. Um, is that something that you guys are used to? Now, uh, uh, now, 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 uh, now. Remember, he did help this team win two world championships. So easy. Hey, and that's why I'm asking: Are you guys used? Because you got to help us Cubs fans out. You know, we're not we're not very patient. We've been patient long enough. Uh, about you know, 105 years and counting, 107, I believe. Uh, so, uh, is this something that we can kind of expect from him early? Is just kind of be shaky, 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 and then you know, once June and July kind of rolls around, where you know the dust is basically knocked off, uh, we can expect a guy that we're, we're paying the money him, for him to beat. Look, I do think the $155 million price tag is probably something that feels like a 900-pound gorilla on his, on his shoulders. I do think that that's something that he probably needs to, uh, to just forget about and just go out and pitch. I do think that what Lester finds his groove uh, with the Cubs uh, and, and certainly pitching in Wrigley Field and in some of the other National League ballparks that he'll pitch in, that I think uh, the John Lester that we saw here in Boston, I think, will reemerge itself. Um, hey, it, it may not be the guy that, as I say, helped the Red Sox win a couple of world championships, but uh, it should be good enough to help the Cubs to, uh, to reestablish that starting staff and, and begin the process of reestablishing that roster. Well, I hope so. And I'm going to keep – John, I'm going to keep I'm – gonna, I'm going to roll with you on this one. Uh, I'm going to keep well, the hey, It's not my money, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's yours. Hey, but you know what? You've gone through the struggles and the the high times and the low times with this guy, so I'm going to keep the faith. But, but I, I will say this. Now you understand why the Red Sox weren't willing to do this. I mean, guys who are in their 30s is something that the Red Sox <laughs> don't want to give these kind of contracts to, and I think that uh, you know that's the chance that other major league teams are not uh, necessarily willing to be on board with. But the Red Sox have learned from, from prior contracts that they've given out to pitchers in their 30s that this is not necessarily a wise idea. No. Exactly. No, like, and and it's, uh, it's becoming a trend. But then you get into the feeling of, okay, well, what's the price of your, you know, your, your guy? Like uh, the top well, the Red Sox guy, case even if you're not elite. In the Red Sox case, for Lester, it was about $70 million. That was as far I mean, as they were fair. willing to go. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So he goes seventy million to what they were will to what they thought he still had left to what the Cubs did, which was one hundred and fifty-five. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it depends on how he pans out for that franchise, but I, I guess for the Cubs, they're looking for an anchor to that rotation, and so uh, he, he's a significant upgrade. I mean, that's what he means to the Cubs is, is that money. Uh, I'm just hoping he produces the numbers that back it up. I hope, like I said, I hope so. So I'm going to keep rolling with it. Uh, we've reached. We don't have a, a choice. He's not going anywhere. Well, I, John, just work with us. No, no, but I mean, <laughs> but think about it. There is no other major league baseball team that's going to take him on if it falls flat in Chicago. You, the Cubs are stuck with him for the length of that deal, if, even if it doesn't work. Well, I think the the hope is that it does. Um, yeah, I, I agree, them, but yeah. I mean that contract is way too big to trade to anybody. Yeah. Well, if all else fails, he can be a really good mentor. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's one. You know, he's helped guide him to two World Series. Hell, why not have him be a mentor if you're gonna, you know, pay him the 
a dash of money you're going to be paying. But, now, i uh, got to admit, the other thing that I was looking at, and the reason why I was late, was because I think what Oklahoma City did in the NBA to Scott Brooks is about as stupid as it gets. <laughs> and well, yeah, we're. Uh, I completely agree with you on that, and we're gonna we'll get to that right after uh, this quick update from Mr. Montel Hardy. Thanks, Josh. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, this is an NGSC Sports news break. Just a reminder: you can listen in at ngscsports.com. Just go on the red talk shoe box and listen to us live. In the news now, the NFL has announced a 10-game suspension for Dallas Cowboys defensive end Greg Hardy for violating the personal conduct policy. Hardy, who signed a one-year deal with the Cowboys in March, will appeal the ruling. If the league's ruling stands, then the first game Hardy will be eligible to play in uh, will be November 26th against his former team, the Carolina Panthers, on none other than Thanksgiving. So how about that, guys? You can tune into uh, a little bit of a revenge game. Uh, moving on, the Oklahoma City Thunder fired head coach Scott Brooks, the team announced earlier today. Uh, this is an extremely difficult decision on many levels, general manager Sam Presti said in a statement. The decision is not a reflection of this past season, but rather an assessment of what we feel is necessary at this point in time in order to continually evolve, progress, and sustain. The Thunder missed the playoffs on the final day of the regular season this year, the first time they failed to make the playoffs or yeah, the first time they made, failed to make the playoffs since 2008-2009. The team was plagued with injuries from reigning MVP Kevin Durant only playing in 27 games, Russell Westbrook missing 15 games and Serge Ibaka missing the final 18 regular season matchups. Be sure to to, to read NGSC's hottest stories. Online right now, NBA should the 16-team playoff format change, written by none other than our own Jake Stanley, a good friend of mine, and he has been cranking out all types of NBA content. So check out Jake Stanley's article. Uh, We'll also uh, shout out Ralph Garcia for 2015 NFL team needs. Uh, Check out the NFC East version of this article. Uh, As we head into the draft, Ralph Garcia breaks down with the Redskins, Giants, Cowboys, and Eagles all need from this year's draft, uh, in addition to their selections that they have to address these needs. Uh, once again, you can check out these articles and so many more on NGSCSports.com, everybody. Uh, once again, you're listening to the NGSC Weekly Flagship Show on NGSC Sports Radio. Uh, once again, here at NGSC Sports, we never stop. Back to you, Josh. Thank you, Montel. And John, I'm gonna—I'll uh, take the leash off now because I know you're you're chomping at the bit to get after this OKC uh, situation. So uh, lay it on us. What? Uh, this is a knee-jerk reaction to a season that went bad because of injuries. What was Scott Brooks supposed to do? He didn't have Kevin Durant. He didn't have Russell Westbrook for most of the first half of the year. He got Westbrook back. He got Durant back for a little while, but then he lost him again. Westbrook pretty much put this team on his back and almost got them to the playoffs while almost winning himself an MVP award. He didn't have Ibaka either for the final stretch of the regular season. What was he supposed to do? And they also traded Reggie Jackson away. They traded him to Detroit at the trade deadline. So there were four pretty significant players that Brooks all of a sudden didn't have for most of the season, if not parts of the season. Exactly what was he supposed to do? Well, I think the story here is um, 
I, I think he's just a victim of the situation. Uh, I think. Well, what situation? Uh, is is, oh, it, no, is no, he no, a victim no, no. of the players deciding that they just didn't want him around anymore, or is he a no, victim no, of a victim what he couldn't of, control? Of, you know, it, it's a it's a uh, it's a political thing at this point. Uh, you got to think about KD's future. You got to think about Russ's future. You got to think about winning because that's going to influence both futures. And I'm just going to throw it out here now as a Bulls fan. It pains me to say this, but it is very unlikely that the Bulls fire Tom Thibodeau. Uh, at the end of the season, regardless, really, of how it ends. And I think when you think about this guy on the market of coaches, you think about how, aside from him and maybe another another name out there, uh, there's just a big pile of, of bad uh, at the coach head coaching spot in terms of guys that have already coached and are out of a job. Uh, then you look at maybe some of these college coaches. Uh, essentially, the Thunder want to do something to kind of give this team a shot in the arm. Uh, I think they'd be interested in Thibodeau. If they're not interested in him, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they went and tried to talk to a Kevin Ali or, or tried to get someone in here with some type of uh, staying power and who also uh, would, you know, be a lot more uh, intriguing uh, to, to coach uh, over Durant and, and Westbrook because this, this is about Durant now. Because it looks like he's going home to play in Washington. It really does. So uh, this is a power move. I'll tell you what, uh, if he's going yeah. home to play in Washington, it's not going to be for Randy Whitman. It, uh, it, it may very well be. I mean, I'm, they play well. <laughs> they play well. And, yeah, and but they winning. also lost. As, as I mean, they limped into the playoffs in, in, in ridiculous fashion. Uh, it, it was a team that looked pretty disinterested in that last month of the season. I mean, he's not going back to play for for Randy Whitman. I, I don't, uh, I don't doubt I, that for a second. Yeah, You're talking about a Wizard team that lost 15 out of their last 19 road games to end the season. He's not no, going back no, to play yeah. for Randy Whitman. That that's not happening. I think he does, and I think uh, a the, the hometown does have some appeal. Now, I'm not saying anything set in stone, but he will be looking at other options uh, when his contract is up. And Washington will be one of them. They they will be uh, with John Wall, with Marcin Gortat. If there are any issues within that organization that would inhibit Durant, believe me, they will be purged between now and the moment his contract expires. I don't look at it as uh, you know this guy or that guy will keep him going. Uh, obviously, we've seen from you know uh, what's happened with LeBron and some changes that have been made for Melo to stay. Teams will alter the course of their franchise and completely in some instances, attempt to rebuild their franchise uh, just to bring in uh, that quality of a player. So well, I'll I say that. If Oklahoma City is interested in Tom Thibodeau, then they better hope that the Bulls don't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I've talked to sources here in Chicago. Uh, I've listened. And the truth is, even if they do, it just it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's run its course. I don't want him to go. I love Tom Thibodeau. I think he's a fantastic coach, but I also think he deserves better, you know, and, and they're spinning a tired narrative that he's running his players into the ground, and there's just no truth to it. You know, it's, it's a bad rumor, and there's an army of stupid here in Chicago that believe it, but the truth is uh, it's 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 false. And for whatever reason, management Well, will, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the, the Bulls are potentially going to have a tough second-round matchup with the Cavs. There's no doubt about that. That's the way it's looking right now. That would be a difficult matchup, even if Noah is healthy, even if Rose is healthy, even if Jimmy Butler continues doing what he's doing, even if Gasol is healthy. That's going to be a difficult matchup for the Bulls. But I would think that if the Bulls could somehow find a way to get past the Cavs and get to the Eastern Conference Finals, that Thibodeau's not going anywhere, even if there is a, a significant fan base and maybe even a significant members of that organization that don't want him around anymore. 
Exactly, yeah, I, I, exactly. Yeah. And I think he'd be a very hot coach in Canada. I think Orlando, for sure. I think Orlando is the floor, which means if everything goes wrong, Orlando will probably give him a job and he'll probably go. Uh, I mean, so, I yeah. think Kevin Ollie is an, is an interesting choice, and, and we went through this last year after Connecticut won the national championship. I think he is a very interesting uh, possibility for, for several NBA teams, not just Oklahoma City, but I think Orlando could be another one. It's just a question of what Ollie wants to do and whether he's comfortable with the idea of continuing to uh, perfect his coaching style in college before he makes that jump to the NBA. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's some things, obviously, that people are going to look at, but I'm just saying specifically why Brooks is gone is because it's uh, they got to shake things up. They just have to. There has to be well, something new and shiny. Well, this is a team that's run by Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant said, you know what, I don't want him around anymore. Well, see, the funny thing is I thought the narrative, at least going into it, was that he, he genuinely liked Scott Brooks. Um, well, somebody obviously didn't, because it seems to me yeah. that this was a behind-the-scenes, stab-in-the-back move. It was. I mean, why do you think Phil Jackson was hired in, in New York? I mean, he's never been a GM in his life. Would it help him keep Melo? I mean, I don't, I don't agree with it. But if this is, uh, if this, if you have to sacrifice Brooks, who is getting a bad rap, to keep KD and Russ together, I mean, that's a, that's a lethal combination. I mean, how do you? And it sounds like that's what they did. They sacrificed mm-hmm. the coach to keep their star players together. That, yeah. that sounds exactly like what they did. Yeah. And that can easily backfire because you don't know if the star players really do want to stay there or if they've already begun the process of seeking their next destination. Absolutely, John. And, and, and you, don't, you don't have any way. I mean, they might have the sources. I don't have any way of knowing. They could be making a, a terrible mistake. But what will be interesting is to see where Scott Brooks lands. Oh, there's no doubt he's going to land somewhere. I mean, he could land in Orlando. That, that's certainly possible. Uh, there could be other destinations that he could end up in as well. Um, I have no doubt that Scott Brooks' next job is not that far away. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, th- I think multiple NBA circles seem to, to really like this guy. And who knows? You know what? It, it could end up being Dallas based on the problems that Rick Carlisle is having with that uh, roster, particularly with one point guard that used to play here in Boston. Well, I don't know how you guys deal with I don't know how you guys deal with Rondo. I don't know how you guys do As a Bulls fan, I hated Rondo. And, and as a Celtics fan, I don't know how you like this guy. A, you have a because there were two guys, shoot. there were three guys around him that pretty much were able to keep him under control. Yeah. And, and when that's Pierce what and Garnett is. and Allen mm-hmm. were here, they were able to keep him under control. When those yes, guys yep. left, unfortunately, there was nobody there to pretty much take him aside and say, shut up. Exactly, and I, I think when Les is on devices, he's a very poor leader. And I, I just, a he's and and just I don't know the gall he has to try to demand some of these higher contracts. I mean, he can't shoot. He still can't shoot. You can sag off of Rajon Rondo, and I know he he plays the true point guard game, but you can you can leave this guy open, and he might not make it. So. Uh, I think he'll be one and done in Dallas. I, I don't know why you. Oh no, I agree. Rick Carlisle, this guy. Out today, he was asked today if he thought Rajon Rondo would be in a Maverick uniform next year. His tweet was one word: no. <laughs> I can't believe he said that, but I he mean, did. I wouldn't go on a record saying it. But no, I'm hey, I can't disagree. I mean, he, he shouldn't, and I think Carlisle's a heck of a coach. If, if he says, "Hey, I don't want you. I can replace you," I, I think you side with Rick here. Uh, and that's another guy. If he if he is fired, or, or as soon as he is, I expect him to be in Chicago the next day if, if Tibbs gets the hook. 
Because he's immediately well, the best you of the remember, Now, the Rondo deal that was made between the Celtics and Mavericks was pretty much fueled by Maverick owner Mark Cuban. He really did want Rondo on that team. He was convinced at the time that trade was made that Rondo was the final piece that would put the Mavericks in championship contention. It hasn't worked, and so you wonder who's going to end up being the sacrificial lamb. Well, it, it agreed. And, and to be fair, though, when you look at it, I mean, people side with Brooks. Cause that's the thing is that if, if you fire Carlisle, what, you're keeping Rondo? I, I get it from a production standpoint. But sometimes uh, you look at your locker room, you look at the leadership that's there, and, and you got to look at it this way. Uh, you know, there's going to be point guards out there who can – be productive, run the floor, and pass. I mean, I know Rondo's got a special way to play in the paint. This guy's like Tyus Jones who can develop into that type of player, maybe with more shooting upside. So, I mean, if you're if you're Dallas, I don't know how you just say, hey, give us Rondo. I mean, what, then you pay him the max? You're going to regret that. So um, someone's got to be on the hook for it. Uh, now, here's the question. The people up here in Boston are kind of snickering mm-hmm. because we think Rondo got benched last night. With, uh, what was it, 11 minutes to go in the third quarter, he had already committed his fourth foul, never came back and played in the fourth. So the question is, did he get benched or did the back really start to flare up on him and that's why he never came back? I I don't I mean I don't, I'm not too well versed in the back injuries but I have heard them you know it, it's there and, and then it's not uh, but we've all seen them. Um, seems to have the propensity to shake off some of Scott Brooks's calls. I'm sorry, not Scott Brooks, uh, Rick Carlisle. Carlisle, So um, I hope that's not the situation again. This shouldn't really happen more than once. Uh, He also, by the way, got into a a Shelly match with at least one reporter after that game last night. Uh, He Mm -hmm. decided not to speak to reporters after the game, and one reporter shouted to Rondo, you have to talk to us at some point, to which Rondo just just stared at the reporter and just kept walking. And it was Amari Stoudemire that finally came up to those reporters and said, he ain't talking to you, and that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it may be in his best interest. It really might. You know, uh, you know, and they went out and got Amari. You know, I just look at all the things Dallas has done to try to be competitive and win. And it's uh, – the West is hard, man, because in the East, they, they'd be right there in the East. Goodness. Yeah, I know, but, you know, and that's the thing about the Western Conference, because it is as difficult as it is – it's going to force teams to make decisions that, frankly, either in the short term or the long term, are not going to be wise ideas. Exactly. exactly. Because you want to keep up yep. with everybody else, and so you're going to take chances on people that under a different set of circumstances you wouldn't even consider. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's wild, man. It, it really is. And I, uh, I don't know. I just look at it this way. If um, – they still have Monte Ellis, right? Yeah, they do. They That's going to be a team that can compete. And I just think if you find yourself really needing a point guard, I hate to say it, but if there's a need to have, it, it's it's a point guard that can pass. And I think maybe move on from Rondo, keep Kyle out, and get a guy that you can, you know, run the floor with. I mean, just, just get yourself – you can replace his production to an extent – and, and I don't think you'll you'll be hurting too much without it. You know, you're not losing well, restaurants. Let's face, it. Let's face yeah. it. Dirk Nowitzki is getting old. I mean, you know, how much longer is Dirk going to play in Dallas or in the NBA for that matter? Chandler Parsons is really good. He was expected to be reevaluated today. That may not end up very good for either Parsons or the Mavericks. I mean, this is a basketball team that really is in a banged-up state, and you just wonder if when it's all said and done, whenever that is, if Cuban really sits down and says, you know what, 
we have to begin the process of rebuilding. I don't want to do it, but we have no choice. Yeah, and, and that's true. And and, and whenever uh, it's over for Dirk, they'll kind of have to restructure their team, uh, well, in a, in a huge way. So um, that's a good point. Um, wow, I, I just it's, it's just weird to picture this team without Dirk. Uh, absolutely. I mean, for all he's done for that, that organization and for that team, uh, yeah, it, it, to, to see him not out there with them, and that would be weird sighting. There's no question about that. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, so, Josh, what are you doing while we've been talking? What have, what have you been up to? I've been taking notes because Montel uh, knows this by now. I'm not a big basketball guy. Um, I root for the Bulls, and that's about it. I'll root for the Bulls and anybody playing. playing LeBron how does a James. guy from Mon- explain this to me? How does a guy from Montana root for teams in Chicago? I was born in Chicago. My dad was in the military. My dad was oh, a okay. firefighter for the for the Air Force, and we were stationed at Chinook Air Force Base, and. Uh, him growing up in Iowa, he was a big Cubs fan, and so that's he was a big fan of you know Ron Santos. Well, the Cubs I kind of get, but not the Bulls. Well, he was a big Michael Jordan guy, and oh, okay. uh, you know how it is when when you grow up, uh, you're basically um, you're basically baptized into a fan base rather than yeah. But you don't talk about the Blackhawks the way you talk about the the the, the Cubs. Why is that? I'm not a I'm because personally I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big Blackhawks guy. Um, I'm uh, I'm a Minnesota Wild guy. Uh, my uncle uh, lives in Minnesota. I've been a Minnesota fan basically since he's kind of baptized us into it. Um, you know when he used to work for uh, Shock Doctor, uh, they used to sponsor hockey players uh, for the Minnesota Wild. Um, most and you're not a Bears fan either. Uh, no, oh God, no. no. Montel knows this by now. I, I will not root for the Chicago Bears. The only time I'll root for the Bears is when they're playing the Packers. And I, I will root just because I want to see one of the other teams lose. Um, I mean, that's weird. You, you're, you're a Cubs fan, you're a Bulls fan, but you're not a Blackhawks or a Bears fan. That's weird. Yeah, it was all, all based on the market that my dad had when he was growing up in Iowa. Um, hmm. You know, they had the Vikings on TV there, and he was a fan of the Vikings, and um, my mom's a Twins fan, so I, I kind of have a little bit of bias toward the Twins, but not enough. Um, I didn't get that forced on me enough as uh, the Chicago Cubs. And so I was, uh, you know, I was, I was a Cubs fan. You weren't around during the days of Kirby Puckett and Kent Herbeck and those guys, Gary Gaetti. Oh, and... oh, yes, I was. I was born, yeah, I was born in 90. So I mean, oh, okay, I wasn't... all right, you were around. All right, yeah, you okay. were. Wasn't old enough to truly understand, but uh, until I got older, but you know, I, I knew who Kirby. You know, I know who Kirby Puckett was, and you know, I, I was around to watch his day and age. But you know, growing up for me, I was a Sammy. So, you know, I, I was a huge Sammy Sosa fan. Um, wow, I, that kind of locked me in being a Cubs fan for life. Wow, uh, was rooting for one him. of the best pitching performances I've ever seen in World Series history. Jack Morris, Game Seven for the Twins against the Braves, that one nothing win. That wow. gave the Twins that that World Championship it was one of the best pitching performances I've ever seen. Wow! Yeah, and I to this day will st- you know like I said I just I it's just hard for me to break the ties. My dad did a good job of uh, <laughs> basically weaning me weaning me from any other team. He wasn't allowed. He didn't allow me to jump. Uh, but but I would know. think that those Twins World Championships might have convinced you to do that. 
No, yeah, or or the or the White Sox, you know, just yeah. just not winning, you know, or, or the Sox just, you know, because <laughs> they, they won back in '05, and the Cubs, you know, just, uh, well, you know, they're the Cubs, you know. <laughs> so, so I mean, I just uh, you landed on the Cubs. I think that's the issue here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, my dad, my dad always told me if you're going to be a fan of a team, you stick with them until you're dead. And so I have. I have been going through the Cubs curse since 1990, and I thought it was going to be broken in 2003, but that was a mistake. Um, and then he thought it was going to be that would be the that would be the, the year of the foul ball that was caught. Yeah, Steve Martin. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The one championship, the one championships I did get to glorify as a child were the were the Bulls championships. Uh, those were the ones champ, championships I got to really hold on to and say, you know what, I'm a true Bulls fan. I've been a Bulls fan since I was born. As to where people now are, oh, you know, you'd see him walking around wearing LeBron James jerseys, and they, they probably didn't know that he played in Cleveland before he went to Miami. Uh, he, they just became Miami Heat fans. Um, and then now the same way all those guys jumped off the bandwagon, and, and you can see the same people wearing uh, LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers jerseys. And I know this because I see it. Um, oh, I even see the I even still see the Miami Heat jerseys. Oh yeah, and that's just mm-hmm, because they couldn't mm-hmm. find a cheap Chinese website to buy their knockoff. Uh, uh, that's, that's probably true. Yeah, that's that may be true. That's the honest truth. Um, but yeah, I, I, mean, I do find you know I, I found Pat Riley's comments interesting earlier this week when he was talking about the difference between last year and this year, and he, his answer was there were no more smiley faces around, which was in reference to LeBron James. Um, but I, I found Riley's comments a bit interesting, how he still is bitter at how that ended after last year. How, how could yeah. you not be? How could you oh, not be? <laughs> you, know, you just lost the best But at some point, ever. you got mm-hmm. and, and And the other part of it is that there seems to be now with, uh, uh, you know, Shabazz Napier, who was a, a fan, or at least LeBron James was a fan of Shabazz Napier, and there, there seems to still be that connection that James was the one who convinced Riley to go ahead and draft Napier. Napier had a bad rookie year in, in Miami and uh, ended up playing more in the D-League than he did for the NBA, and now there seems to be thought that, uh, uh, that that was LeBron James's parting shot, was to uh, leave the Miami Heat with a player that, frankly, was more of a D-League player than, say, an NBA player. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. <sighs> I don't know. You know, like I said, I'm not a big basketball guy, but for me, for for people to make comments like that, uh, that's just a sour fan base, to be honest. Um, but that's Pat Riley, though. I mean, his days with the Lakers and in his days in, in, in Philadelphia and some of the other stops that he's made, uh, that's Pat Riley. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing with Pat Riley is uh, all those stops he did win, uh, and he, he won when he was in Miami. So I'm sure he's going to find a way to turn around – you know, they, they still got Dwayne Wade. They still got Chris Bosh. And who knows what's going to happen in free agency this year. Um, but they that, won't have to wait away for much longer, Reen. That body is getting beat up. I can't see him playing much longer. I was about to say, I don't, I don't really know if they have him now. <laughs> you know, Yeah, man. that's true. That's a good point. Every now and then, he'll give you the, a classic D-Wade half. That's the way yep. it is. You'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a half. And you're like, whoa, you know, that's, that's, that's Dwayne Wade. But, I mean, now it's just uh, – I don't know what's happened. And I always thought, and John, let me know how you feel about this, but I thought towards the end of last year in that Spurs series for it all in the finals, 
when D-Way fell apart the way he did, getting blocked, missing the layups, the jumps, I always thought to him, it, maybe he was holding back. I just you know, thought it was a guy next, getting old. I really I just, did. I, I just thought I it was just, a guy who was getting old. Well, it just and he hit just me didn't like a have ton the of lift bricks. in his legs anymore. It, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I'm waiting, you know, this big three, you know, they're trying to get this three-peat going, and, and Wayne Wayne was bad. You know, he, he was really bad. <laughs> and I he just, was. It, it it was nothing as far as his standards. It was nothing as far as the fan standards, and fans were leaving out of the ballpark. And and then you look at LeBron and 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 Bosh, and it's just like it was it was the end of an era. You know, it was. And I and just, I, yeah. And I think the looks on Dwayne Wade's face during that series, I think you could see the the reservation that you know what, I just don't have the lift in my legs anymore. I just don't have, I don't have that push. I don't have that jump anymore. I I can't do what I used to do and. And he couldn't figure out ways to get around it. And I think that really uh, compounded his problems in that series with San Antonio. Yeah, you know, he wasn't always a, a good, I mean, he, he's streaky, but he never really polished, became a polished, you know, outside shooter. And that would have helped him a lot. Cause, and you he know, wasn't much the, of a distributor yeah. either, and that also created problems. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the thing, you know, because you look at like Ray Allen. Ray Allen used to love be, you know, running to the paint, you know, the dunk, you know, the slam. And, and but he developed an elite tool that could get him signed even now. You know, he can shoot the three ball. Well, I mean, that, you know, and and that's what happens to teams that that make the run like Miami does. And that's the one thing about the NBA. You make a run like that, eventually you're going to hit rock bottom. And when you do, it's a long climb to get back up to the top again. And I do think that that's part of Riley's criticism of the way last season ended. Yeah, because they centered the whole franchise around three players. I mean, you can argue one, really, but three players. And and now that one left, you're left with uh, really nothing. I mean, you have Bosh, who you you drastically overpaid because they couldn't afford to lose Bosh. They couldn't. And I, no. I really, every day I wake up, and I'm, I'm glad he didn't go to the Rockets because, man, <laughs> that would have been a lineup. With, well, with nice Howard to see that him. Dwight Howard yeah. is playing well for the Rockets, by the way. And in that series with Dallas, had a double-double last night. It looks like the old Dwight Howard. Yeah, no, I think his thing is uh, he's just not a limelight guy. You know, he's excellent until you expect it from him every night, you know, and, and L.A. demanded it from him every night. And he was, Absolutely. He was, and I, I think it got to him. So he went to Houston where the media is, 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 is uh, maybe a little moderate and, 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 and learns. I think he learned some things under Kevin McHale, of course. And so I think as a, he's just more comfortable there, and he's able to, you know, you know it, wow It's unfortunate you. what happens when you're a second fiddle to Kobe Bryant. If you if you can handle it, that's fine. But if you can't, it's a nightmare. I still don't know how they let it happen, John. If I if I have any type of management pulse in that organization, I'll tell Kobe, you've got to get along with Dwight because he's got to be here because we don't want to be a bad team, you know I mean? <laughs> I just I would have I would have made him make it work. I know it's impossible, but I would have said, Kobe, you you're either going to retire, or you're going to play with him. I mean, I'm sorry, we love you, but we, this can't, you know, because once they let Howard come out, you know, leave out that door, it was the beginning of the end for the Lakers. Because next thing but you know, you know that's Steve the thing Nash about the Laker him. management, they're not going to do that with Kobe. They're not going to call his bluff. They're not going to stand up to him. They're not going to do it. They sorely needed to, and, and they yep. uh, and they're paying for it. Because yep. now they, they are the J, the JV team at the Staples Center now. Now it's Clipper Town. Yeah. It is. It, it is indeed. And uh, with that, we've reached our first hour. Uh, we'll take a quick uh, quick break and read from 
our sponsors, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up this uh, NBA talk while we wait for our guest, Mr. Todd Stucy, will be joining us again to give us a little bit of insight on some exciting stuff rolling around uh, the Scout Side app uh, from when we talked to him two weeks ago. So, again, you're listening to the weekly show on NGSC Sports Radio, and we'll be back after this break. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long with DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy gratification. What well, waits till the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you can be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day, just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code SPREAKER to play for free. You can win part of $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code SPREAKER for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Hey, there we go, Montel. I knew I had to play it again for you. I knew you were going to be wanting this one. I said, hey, why not finish the show with it as well? I'm uh, vibing right now, Josh. I really am, bro. I mean, I'm, yeah, you don't want to see what I, you know, I'm jumping up on furniture right now, guys. <laughs> well, uh, well, I, t- I tell you what, uh, I know I'm going to be jumping on furniture right now because uh, we get a chance to talk again to Mr. Todd Stucy. And this Are you time- wearing a Vikings jersey? Admit it. Are you wearing a Vikings jersey or not? No, I'm actually wearing a high school my high school wrestling T-shirt, but I I am surrounded by all my uh, in my office. I am surrounded by all my Vikings memorabilia, so I have the I have the skull and the, the purple and gold kind of wearing on me as now was there a Todd Stucy bobblehead doll in your office? <laughs> I do, and I do have a Harmon Killebrew uh, uh, bobblehead. You have a Harmon Killebrew bobblehead doll? Yeah, from the from the. Do you have any idea uh, who I, he is? No, I knew he was. <laughs> so don't don't do that. Don't do that. He, he might be a real oh, fan now. of the, the twins. Now he might know. He might know, John. Oh my God! Wow. Okay. <laughs> so with with that being said, uh, I will formally now introduce uh, Mr. Todd Stucy again. Uh, Todd, how are you doing this evening? Good. You know, there actually does exist a. Uh, a Todd Stucy bobblehead doll. It was, oh, uh, then, it was, Todd, it was you Carolina, have to make sure that Josh gets one of your bobblehead dolls. It was a Carolina <laughs> Panther one, but I'll tell you, it's actually kind of scary. Uh, I don't know if either – you guys are probably too young. Have you ever seen Seinfeld? Yes, I yeah, have. There, yeah. we're, we're not too young for Seinfeld. <laughs> I mean, come on. There, there's an episode of Seinfeld where George, uh, his fiance had a doll – that looked exactly like his mother, and it freaked him out. And anyways, the the resemblance. The, this isn't like a generic Todd Stucy doll. They actually are bobblehead doll. They actually had an artist go out and like craft 
the doll, uh, mold the frame, paint it, and everything. It's freaky how much it looks like me. It's uh, it's kind of scary. I think you can get them on eBay for probably like twenty four cents or something. But uh, it is uh, it's a very lifelike doll. So you're saying it does look like you? It looks a lot like me. It's kind of. Scary. I mean, most athletes when they look at those bobblehead dolls, it doesn't look like them even close. But in your case, apparently they did it right. Well, they, it's like they actually molded it, so it's like the shape of my head. I mean, it's kind of freaky that uh, they went to such great lengths to do these. I was like a set of one of a set of twelve that year, or something like that. Well, I guess I now know what I'm going to be doing after the show, John. I will update you next week when I have the bobblehead sitting on my desk. <laughs> well, if you got a Harmon Killebrew one, you need to have a Todd Stucy one. I'm still trying to figure out the Harmon Killebrew one. All right, so, so before we get to that, I'll answer this real quick. So I went to the Twins game last year uh, when I was up doing Vikings coverage for their mini camp. And with them being in the all, you know, with them hosting the All Star game, they're doing Pacific, uh, you know, giveaways. And so for the first 10,000 fans that made it into the stadium, you got a free Harmon Killebrew bobblehead doll. So I got, you know, I got the Harmon Killebrew bobblehead doll sitting on my desk from when we went and watched them play. Uh, matter of fact, Montel, it was your White Sox, and we won in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, oh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was it was a pretty cool experience. So I, I have the the Harmon Killebrew bobblehead doll sitting on my desk. And now since you know that I don't know who he really is, next week I'll, I'll be – more up on my game, and I'll be able to to rattle off some of uh, some of Mr. Killebrew's stats. All right, that's fine. That's a deal. <laughs> so, but Todd, I, uh, we we talked a little bit this week, and uh, it sounds like things are starting to to really roll. Uh, you got yourself some exciting news, I hear. Yeah, no, I wish it was as exciting as I'd hoped it to be. Uh, we've been sitting in. We basically submitted our our app to Apple, and we really expected really on Monday that we would have received notification that it it was live on the App Store, and we've been holding bated breath all day long, waiting, checking the emails too many times, uh, and it's still impending. We haven't uh, we have no bad news to report, but we have no good news to report. So I, I apologize. I was expecting for <laughs> sure that we would have it up. So if any one of your listeners has any kind of uh, uh, sway over in the Silicon Valley, they might know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. We would appreciate anything. So uh, it's, uh, know what? From my understanding, is sometimes these are just the case and. It's the most difficult thing is it's a black box. We're only communicating through them via email. They don't like to be called. You try not to bug them because I think they just would probably put us down in the, the back of the line again. So we're we're uh, we're waiting, uh, but we do expect it anytime soon. And um, the I mean, it's really it's we've had a few extra days to kind of. Uh, tweak a few things behind the scenes that makes it even a better app and a, and a better experience. And so I've really been focused more on the marketing side. We're even planning on going up to the draft uh, next weekend and uh, interacting with the fans, kind of promoting the 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 app, getting people to uh, sign up for it and check it out. And so it's uh, it's been neat. It's been a neat experience so far. Just frustrating. Yeah, I, I can totally understand. Uh, I know kind of how you feel. Uh, the moment when we talked about you uh, about it last time, 
I immediately sent it the notification. I've been I've been waiting day in and day out. I was like, oh, is this thing coming so I can play around with it yet? But uh, yeah. without giving uh, without giving away any of the of the cool uh, spoilers, without spoiling anything, what are some of the things that people like Montel and myself uh, are going to be able to do with this app? No, absolutely. No, thanks for uh, for giving the opportunity. So, I mean, this is a second device experience, second screen experience. So, uh, the idea of you sitting on your couch watching the uh, the draft coverage and helping to supplement that to give the user the opportunity to uh, say they're listening and they hear the Vikings have uh, are on the clock and they're really thinking it's one of these three players that they're considering. Um, rather than just say, uh, stopping there, if you had additional in, uh, questions or additional, uh, you want to find additional details about this player, um, you could go to the internet, but we really recommend going to Scout site and using the app because what that app will allow you to do is not just look up the player's stats, his college stats, and see what he did uh, because the experience stops there for ESPN or NFL.com uh, or whatever. Uh, it, uh, our app allows you to do to use really complex similarity algorithms to compare the these players, let's say you're looking at a specific linebacker, and uh, you could plug him in and say, first of all, rank him historically over the, the course of the last 10 years of the draft and see his sacks, his tackles, uh, his um, uh, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. How are they historically to other guys? So you could quickly sort and go through all the different years. You could sort by a his school and see where is he compared to other colleges. But the really coolness comes when you wind up, basically you take touch that player, you drag him to the top of the screen, and uh, what happens then is uh, the similarity algorithm comes in, and it winds up taking all the player stats, all the information that's assembled about that player, and is able to score them based on a similarity. And so what it's doing is it's saying – this player that we don't know how he'll be in when he gets in the pros, here's 10 players that are currently in the NFL that our, our algorithm says is very much like a snapshot coming out of college. They are almost identical or they're 88% close in similarity. And so being able to map out and show these college players are currently at this snapshot, where are they going to be in two years or three years, this tool lets you do some of that. So um, it's uh, very similar, I think, in a lot of ways to what was in the combine coverage when the NFL network was showing a given combine stat and or a given player in his combine stats and showing what player in the NFL is closest, uh, most closely similar to that player. And so it's similar to that, but I think it takes it another level because of the level of complexity in which it's doing not just combine data, but college stats, et cetera. Oh, Montel, you know how excited I am to kind of play around with that because uh, you know, being a defensive line fan, uh, everybody's comparing Leonard Williams to J.J. Watt. And now with, when the app is launched, I'll be able to really, truly see whether or not people are right with that comparison. Um, yeah, 
I think that JJ is uh, kind of that one exceptional every. I mean, there's it's difficult to say that there's many guys like him coming through the league on a regular basis, but uh, time will tell. I I know I agree completely. I think uh, I mean he might be as versatile as JJ Watt, right? He might be able to play a few positions along the defensive line, but JJ Watt is just you know himself. You can't you know I don't think anyone's going to project like he will or project to what he's done uh, in just his uh, time in NFL. Um, You know, looking more towards uh, you know the analytics and that type of things. uh, I mean, is this going to be something that uh, everyone can use? You know, you download the app and, you know, yeah. uh, fan, you know, average Joe fan, uh, people like uh, me and Josh who write about it, uh, you know, it's, it's for everyone to use. And tell me, yeah. uh, what are some things the, you know, maybe semi-football fan can do with this? Uh, someone who doesn't really know a ton. Yeah, no, so absolutely. So, um, so first of all, it's a free app, so there's no charge to it. So uh, it doesn't hurt to try, number one. But uh, – even if you're not really sophisticated or you don't really know what you're going to look for, I think uh, the fact that it's a comparative analytics app, and what that means is that if uh, if you're trying to articulate to someone, uh, kind of like trying to describe someone to one of your friends and that friend has never met that person, the way that you're going to describe them is you're going to be comparing them to other people that you both know. And that's a way of like, Hey, you know, he's tall, like uh, so-and-so, or he's really funny, like so-and-so he's got dark hair. The, the ability to uh, map players to players that everyone's aware of. Uh, I don't think you're going to wind up finding a better means to articulate information that cause stats. I mean, the value of a sack versus the value of a tackle is somewhat arbitrary if you don't really understand the game very well as far as the Mm -hmm. level of impact that might be. But when you're able to translate it into everything into a common metric and compare not just across uh, 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 position to position, but you actually can translate and compare players across positions. So defensive uh, players, you can actually look at them uh, from a common metric and look at linebackers versus defensive linemen and uh, linebackers versus DBs and measure their impact uh, regardless of position. Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, as we um, – I mean, in terms of metrics and, and evaluations, you know, this has been a, a much uh, a much anticipated draft, but it's also one where the quarterbacks aren't necessarily the star. Uh, you know, as teams are trying to hit on that uh, big prospect, that next uh, big guy who, I mean, let's say it, you know, if let's say it's not going to be, or let's say it is going to be Winston and Mariota, who, who's who's after them from a metric standpoint? Uh, how can fans maybe look at this app and say, hey, maybe this guy is is startable? You know, maybe this is a guy we can win with. Well, I mean, uh, some of the things that like if you, when I was playing around with the app uh, earlier today, I mean, one of the things that jumped right off the page. I mean, yes, uh, Jameis Winston is extremely intriguing as far as a player and his his charisma and, I mean, uh, Steve Mariucci talking about him on, uh, on NFL Network and how, how well his interview went when they were going over game film and stuff, and he seemed to have a tremendous football IQ. But you also look at it and you know what? There's no player in the last 10 years that was a high-level draft pick 
with that many interceptions. I mean, uh, the the guy had a senior year that there were moments of regret. Now, he played for a good mm-hmm. team that was able to overcome that, but I don't think you can ignore the fact that the number of uh, – now, there's all kinds of context associated with those interceptions, but to say that he's a perfect quarterback, quarterback's a complex position, and there's not a really – I think that buyer beware if you think you're going to have a plug-and-play guy like uh, – like uh, Russell Wilson or, I mean, even Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks take time to mature, and uh, if you're drafting a quarterback in the first pick, one, you're a bad team, and two, you're taking <laughs> a position that doesn't mature very well, that's a, that's a bad recipe for success. I mean, yeah. I would be much more interested to see a quarterback that goes number 20 to a decent team that doesn't have to uh, start over with the rebuilding process I mean, those are the Aaron Rodgers of the world. Those are the guys that wind up, they have the luxury to, to let him mature, and he turns into a star, but not right away. Exactly, and I think that's that's such a great point is, you know, kind of like buying on time with a quarterback, you know, giving them that time, and that, you're, you're completely right. And, of course, these teams are, uh, you know, they have the luxury of being able to take a guy in the first round and not address a serious yeah. need, but going on to it, uh, and I guess I'll kick it to John after this, but go on, going on to it, you know, I've recently kind of like done some studying on quarterbacks and, you know, I've been kind of like taking a look at different numbers, playing with some things and trying to figure out who's going to be good. And I've got some, some findings about Mariota. I mean, to me, he seems like, uh, I mean, you want to talk about an intriguing prospect. He seems like a rare prospect. If you look at his, you know, ability and sort of size, athleticism, uh, I know there's, you know, the the mental, uh, you know, there's going to be a change there in the type of offense he's going to run. But uh, speak for, you know, a moment on maybe how rare a prospect uh, Mariota might be in terms of, uh, you know, metrics uh, yeah, in the I different mean, areas. His, his metrics are, I mean, off the chart. I mean, if you look at the number of points that he scored, in some his passing and rushing stats, I mean, are really exceptional. Um, now, you can pick all kinds of holes in the fact that his system didn't make him force him into the complex reads that he has to make in the NFL. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously you think maybe not last year, but two years ago, Colin Kaepernick was able to do well in the system that uh, even though he didn't have to make those complex reads when he got to the NFL, his physical attributes were so exceptional that uh, uh, he, he did very well that first year he played. Um, so, I will say one caveat to Mariota that uh, he doesn't jump off the paper when it comes to the interview. His his charisma just I don't know. And this is a small. I mean, this is my non-stats hat on, but I'll I'll say it anyways. There's there's uh, two quarterbacks that I played with in the pros, and they were kind of really polar opposites of each other, and but. Uh, uh, one was uh, Jake DeLome, and Jake was an unexceptional athlete. He'd probably state that himself to you, um, but the guy had <laughs> an absolute passion for playing the game, loved being around his teammates. His teammates loved him. I mean, the guy had such enthusiasm that uh, um, the first time he stepped in the huddle, it's like immediate, like, we're going to win this game. And we, we chased down New Orleans by, like, we were down by 28 points. We almost beat their ass. But anyways, uh, 
The other one is the other uh, end of the spectrum was a good quarterback, but uh, Mark Bolger. I mean, I, I mean, I like Mark, but Mark is the least assuming, least charismatic. Um, and when you're drafting a guy to be your franchise, Mark did very well when you, he was one of many, and he was picking up the reins of the greatest show on turf. But uh, you need to have some char- uh, charisma, some leadership when you're drafting so early because you're a losing team. People are looking for direction, and the quarterback is one place that they look for that direction. And so the fact that Mariota doesn't really seem very comfortable in that role I think is a is a red flag. I don't think it's a non-drafted, <laughs> but I think that you have to look at what player you're drafting and what the, what team you're putting them on. I got you. So, so just confirming here, you know, because I always assumed it was the opposite when you're really in the, the huddle in the locker room. But it's you would say maybe it's it's essential to have that type of leadership uh, from uh, the quarterback position that that rah rah type of a guy that I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, say it's, yeah. it's not essential, but uh, on the right on the on a certain teams it is. I mean, if you have a young team, a team that really doesn't have, you need to have one leader in each huddle for sure. And mm-hmm. if uh, in the natural, I mean, everyone's eyes aren't on the center. They're not in the huddle. They're not on the wide receiver. Everyone's listening to the quarterback because the quarterback is the natural leader in that huddle. It's, it's almost like if you're, I, I was in the same huddle with Warren Moon and Chris Carter and Chris Carter probably was the more natural leader of the two Warren was a little bit quieter it wasn't something that he really just like he would call you out but he would do it quietly Chris would shout at you from the across the uh across the field that you you screwed up so but it's kind of weird when Chris Carter is not the one that you're looking in the, in the huddles for direction you're looking to the quarterback and then Chris is yelling at you from the other edge of the uh the huddle it's just there's something about it in perfect stars align the quarterback is the leader it's not that it has to be that way but that's probably the best place for it to be at okay okay i'll kick it to john i, I was gonna ask what got you into analytics in the first place um you know what i i've always had a love of math uh I always had this intellectual curiosity when it comes to uh, kind of the how random things were when it came to the draft. That was probably my first really thing. It's like I look back at my draft. I was the fifth off- offensive lineman taken, and within five years, I was the last guy standing in, as far as offensive lineman in that first round. Uh, it's uh, it's it's an imperfect science and I really was curious about whether or not that could be improved. And so that kind of started me along this new second journey in my life, my second passion. How, where do you see this going as far as the draft process is concerned, say five, 10 years down the road, where do you see analytics? How big of a role is it going to play and how teams decide not only what their draft boards are going to look like, but eventually the picks that they make? You know what? I think um, time will tell. I think the the most likely first iteration you'll see of analytics really taking hold in the in the NFL draft 
isn't going to be an automated system that says, okay, we're going to go play golf and the, the analytics will tell us when we come back what team we have. But it is going to wind up having certain parameters. So the idea of kind of safeguards where, you know what, if you're about to go off the rails and there's certain parameters established where offensive lines have to have size. Oh, did we? Something happen? Yep, did we lose Todd? I don't know. I'm asking you. Oh, boy. I'm blaming John. <laughs> Wait, yeah. what'd you do, John? Uh, we might have lost Todd. Um, let me uh, let me get back to him and see if we can't get him back on. Yeah. Uh, Tell about that hardly killable bobblehead doll. That's what started it. <laughs> What's that? I said it was all. It started with the Harmon Killable bobblehead doll. It just went downhill from there. <laughs> it might have been. Uh, he uh, he actually just messaged me. Said phone died. Plugging it in now, uh, so we can expect him. Oh, uh, okay. Right. In a minute, but uh, well, why don't Montel do an update while Todd is reconnecting himself to us, so that we can just continue on. That's perfect. Montel, we'll throw it over to you for our final update of the evening. Sounds good to me, fellas. I'll go ahead and take it away. Uh, I'm Montel Hardy, and this is an NGSC Sports News break. Just a reminder, you can listen in at NGSCSports.com. Just go to the Red Talk Shoe Box and listen to us live. In the news now, the NFL has announced a 10-game suspension for Dallas Cowboys defensive end Greg Hardy for violating the personal conduct policy. Hardy, who signed a one-year deal with the Cowboys in March, will appeal the ruling. If the league's ruling stands, then the first game Hardy will be eligible to play is on Thanksgiving against his former team, the Carolina Panthers. With 10 days to go before the mega fight between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, the parties reached a resolution today that will allow for tickets to the May 2nd fight at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, as well as closed-circuit locations around the city to go on sale. Top-ranked chairman Bob Aaron, Pacquiao's promoter, said earlier today that both sides have finally worked out the differences and that the tickets will go on sale shortly. He also apologized for the delay in having everything, uh, you know, being drawn out so long with the tickets. You can go on to uh, NGSCSports.com and check out some of our uh, most recent articles. Uh, Right now, let's see here. I'll just go based on what's uh, running uh, its way up the page. Up, we've got Josh Zimmer's defensive tackle rankings. How about that? Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) uh, So we got – you know, uh, you know, we can see where Covington falls, does he? You know, written by Josh Zimmer. So, you know, check that out. We all know Josh is going to check that out. So, yeah. get that a kind look of at spelling that. just to make sure everything's right. Of of course, of course. And uh, we'll go ahead and shout out Jake Stanley's article: Should the sixteen team playoff format change? Uh, written by Jake Stanley once again. So you can check out these articles and so many more at ngscsports.com. Uh, there, er, I'm sorry, uh, you can er, you can always uh, remember you can listen to the site at ngscsports.com. Just as I said earlier, click on the red box and listen to us live. Once again, you're listening to the NGSC Weekly Flagship Show on NGSC Sports Radio, available on iHeart, Spreaker, and iTunes. I'm Otto Hardy. Back to you, Josh. 
Thank you, Montel. And as we wait for uh, Todd to, to join us back in, uh, we'll kind of continue uh, continue on with that uh, with how how you were talking about it, John. Um, you know, we'll actually talk to our guy who who uses a little bit more analytics uh, than I do, Mon Montel. Do you kind of agree with Todd when he was talking talking about time will really tell? Oh, and speak of the devil, we are joined ah. back Todd right now. Oh, hey, Todd, you still there? Yeah, sorry about that. I'm not sure exactly what happened. I was on a cell Modern technology is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's wonderful yeah, until you rely on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but no, I, you, you were talking about analytics and how it might... Uh, might be the um, I don't know the the main way the teams put their boards and and their draft to strategy together. Yeah, no, I think it, it, there's going to be a natural gravitation towards that. I I don't want to. I'm not sure exactly where I got cut off, but uh, anyways, uh, it the data is getting more and more robust, and I think uh, the natural selection process will shift more and more to. Better data is going to lead to better information. I mean, to better decision making, and I think you're already starting to see that the the best teams in the league are the most analytically savvy teams on a year by year basis. There's blips on the radar, but uh, it's it just I mean, in every industry uh, in the modern uh, countries. Analytics are, has overtaken the quote-unquote uh, expert decision-maker in the, the accuracy of decisions, the, um, the approximation of uncertain information. Uh, it's just it's a natural shift towards things. I don't think it will completely ever take, overtake the, um, the NFL GM because there still is the need for, I don't know if you guys were reading the news the other day, the, um, a couple years ago, I think it was four or five years ago, there was a flash crash on, on Wall Street. That right. was basically the result of letting everything be automated without any kind of guideposts, and uh, things almost got really bad really quickly. And so what they had to do is they had to, after the fact, like, okay, you know what, we went too far with, letting machines run everything and so they created certain uh parameters or boundaries in which to um uh, to be able to let some things automate but still require the human hand and so there will always be that marrying between the two but i think so far it's been so in the last 10 years it's been so focused on the expert and slowly that's changing over to more and more things being handled by a computer that just can do more from a calculation standpoint. So if I'm a scout, should I be worried about how analytics might, I don't want to say take my job away from me, but become more important than my eyeballing scouts as I uh, go across the country and, and take a look at the potential college players that I might think could be worthy of being drafted by my team? Well, I'll tell you, there's going to be some scouts that if you're fighting technology and you refuse to evolve and adapt, you probably are going to be out of the job pretty soon because what the really savvy scout will actually become more valuable 
to an individual team because he will accept the technology for what it can help him do better. And so rather than a notepad, he's able to uh, create information systems that is able to be easily analyzed. And so the coaches in the front office are able to make easier apples-to-apples decisions because of the information being transmitted from the in-the-field scout that's using standardized reporting systems and and uh, wearable metrics and uh, laser tracking and all these different things that just makes that scout more effective and more useful to the front office. And so that the scout that does that, he has nothing to be worried about because you're not going to have a robot go out and interview the, uh, the equipment manager. I'm still convinced that one of the best pieces of information, the equipment manager is the inside ears of every uh, locker room. He hears and sees everything. If I was ever to uh, to try to find a background like Marcus Mariota, I would go talk to the equipment manager. He's going to have the, the story that's really meaningful and He's not really – there's no incentive for him to lie to you. It's not going to help his job position at all. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so we need to go find equipment managers to really find out oh, how this draft yeah. is going to play out. No, equipment managers are the eyes and the ears of every locker room. I'm convinced of that. Over the years, it just proven true and true again. Well, all right, now, Josh, write that now, down. Now, it's Dennis just equipment Ryan, managers we need to start finding. Dennis Ryan at the Vikings – He's a lockbox. He's uh he's one of the old old school best ones. Uh, I you have a hard time getting anything out of Dennis. That's awesome. So we gotta ask, uh with you guys doing the analytics and stuff like that, have you had a really had a chance to kinda sit down and really pay attention to some of the prospects uh going through this year? Just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that I have dived into it enough to really have an, a feeling like I was going to be able to make an educated decision that I would say, hey, uh, the Vikings, let me make your decisions on your behalf this year. That's by by no means have I dived into the data to that. I, but uh, I think there's I – I have some intellectual hunches based on – what I have seen where I'm kind of interested to kind of look forward in like two or three years and see if some of my hunches are correct. And since you say that, I'd like to kind of pick your brain now. What are some of the hunches that you have uh, for this year's class? I'm, I'm really intrigued by, uh, what's the guys, the back from Wisconsin. Um, Oh, Melvin Gordon. Yeah. I'm really curious from, I, I think that he could be one heck of a back. I just don't think he can be a uh, the kind of back a team maybe thinks he might be in the first mm-hmm. year. He's he's taken so many hits, so many carries, and when you think about all the all-star games and stuff that he's playing on top of it in the combine, the guy has been on uh, having to be kind of like on his A game for the last, like, 11 months. It's just – the kid's going to be burned out by week five. Uh, but I'm really interested to see how he rebounds in his sophomore year. Um, I think maybe a team that can be a little patient with them might have a real uh, a, a pretty sweet gem. Uh, I'm 
if I had to pick Mariota or uh, Winston, I think I would go with Winston. I'm, he seems to be a more of a natural-born leader. I think he's got an opportunity probably to play maybe a little bit early, uh, earlier. Um, we'll see if that helps him or hurts him. I mean, it depends a lot on which team he goes to. And uh, I'm not really that excited about any of the offensive tackles, frankly, but I think there's a few good guards there that uh, might uh, might uh, pan out. Yeah, what do you uh, – yeah, speaking of the tackles, what, what do you uh, – what do you really think about Brandon Scherf from Iowa? Uh, do you think he's a guy that's going to be potentially kicked in and, and play, as a, play as a guard uh, in the league, or do you think he might have the uh, – the build or in the footwork to, to be played outside on the edge as a tackle? From the little bit I saw, I thought he actually had really good footwork. Uh, and uh, he's, I mean, not the long arm uh, monster that, uh, like a Jonathan Ogden by any means, uh, is he? But uh, so, I mean, I think he has a build for guards, but I think his value, like, I don't know if he'll ever be a Pro Bowl tackle. I think he'd be could be an effective uh, tackle, maybe like similar to, um, gosh, what was the USC tackle that went down to Atlanta? Um, Falcons, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, he, a couple years ago, he, uh, he was Baker. Uh, was it Baker? Yeah, Chris, yeah, Chris Baker. Yeah, Chris yeah Baker. Baker, exactly. I think he's got like a, a, a career like Baker possibly at tackle, but if you put him in at guard, I think he could have a career maybe – not quite like a Steve Hutchinson, but, I mean, I think he's got the athletic ability to really, like, nail down that left guard spot for a long time. Uh, but uh, that uh, depends. I mean, teams need guard, uh, need tackles worse than guards. So he might get stuck in a position where really he doesn't get a chance to uh, be the best he can be, but he might be the best thing for that team. Who's the best tackle in this class? In your opinion, oh, I'll tell I mean, you say what, it's not sure. Who is? I would say the the one that scares me the most from a from a ranking standpoint is uh, was it Pete from Stanford? That guy mm-hmm. does not impress me at all. I'm just not. I'm not in love. Uh, yep. Uh, I'm, yep. I might be wrong, but I just I don't. I think he's got slow feet, and yes. even though people, yes. a lot of people say that's his best attribute, I just. I, he he has his technique is not great. He's undisciplined uh, from a tackle standpoint. He bails his outside foot too quick, which that leads to flipping your shoulders. And for an edge rusher, that's that. Uh, I mean, your quarterback's gonna be picking up his chicklets out of the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you, <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, no. It, I've been wrong before, but it's. Uh, I, I think that what I have seen on him, I just don't. It, the numbers don't add up, and I, I think he. I think he might be a decent second round value, but I don't think he's a plug him in, start him at uh, either left or right tackle. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, it, it, I don't know. I, I looked at him, and people like him because he's because he's so big. But I just, you know, like you know, you've been playing football for a while, right? We all know that big guy who might be kind of. Uh, you know, not as powerful or as mean as he, as he, as he looks, you know. And uh, yeah. that's kind of what I think of when I see Pete. But who who would you take if you absolutely needed a tackle and you had to do it in the first? 
Who would you who would you go to war with? Oh, that's just all kinds of constraints. If you need, if you had to have a tackle, had to be in the first, had to pick the year. Uh, <laughs> okay, to, well, had, yeah. <laughs> if, if it's not in the first, well, let's say it's not no. in the first. No, what? I'm actually drawing a blank right now as far as uh, tackles. I'm trying to think who's. There was a couple intriguing guys that were actually from uh, uh, that I watched a little bit of the Senior Bowl and. Uh, Gosh, no, I'm 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 sorry, I'm I'm completely faltering right now on on the uh, on the tackle class. So I'll have to I'll have to have you come on again, and we can talk about them in the or have you on again. We can we talk we can talk in the preseason after we've seen them a little bit, uh, and we can all revisit these questions. Oh, sounds good, <laughs> sounds good, man. Get them on the grass, and then we'll talk. Okay, I'm cool yeah. with it. No, it's. And you- uh, you have to ask you about one, Todd, with you having offensive line background. Uh, who's probably the scariest pass rusher in this class? Um, for me, I'm going to give the tab to Vic Beasley, but Montel knows I'm very, I'm very, very biased toward Vic Beasley. But uh, I think, I think he's a thorough. I, I think he's a thoroughbred. I think that uh, he's he's a little bit he he doesn't have the the variety of moves that maybe I would like, but he, I think that he will get the kind of guy that would be like Tambly Hall or something like that. He's going to get eight, nine sacks in his first year, just purely on how athletic he is. And all it takes is one little slip up by a, by a left tackle and up and under he goes. So I think he's going to have an effective year. Um, he was actually my choice if I had to pick a defensive rookie of the year. That would be my choice, but that's that's time will tell if we're right about that. Depends on what team he goes to, obviously. I haven't been looking and what teams are. Where is he looking at? Is he still a top ten guy? Yeah, yeah, top, yeah. I, a top five guy, I think. Top and five, the one thing yeah. about Vic Beasley, Todd, that mm-hmm. I would say is, I think he's got a tremendous first step. Yeah, no, that's oh, cool. yeah. that. It's. Uh, he gains ground, and the, I can't remember what game it was, but I saw him have a spin move that was really quite exceptional. A lot of guys. <laughs> Is that the one you here. sent me, Josh? Josh, did you send me a? Was it the spin move video? He he sent me something, man, and the tackle yeah. was just overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> like I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, the, everything the, Todd's saying is making me feel so much better because it's everything that I've been saying about him for the last. Three and a half months. <laughs> well, the thing that uh, a lot of a lot of young guys don't, and John Randall would be the guy that you want on to have talk about this more than anything. But the ability to spin and gain ground, a lot of guys spin like a top in the same spot, and so you're just as a as a tackle, you're just kind of like passing them off to yourself. But a guy that's able to to be able to spin and gain ground with that last step and open up his hips is the guy that. Um, you actually wind up pinning the offensive tackles inside arm against his body, and then there's no recovery. And so the ability to gain ground and get to the inside shoulder is kind of a – it's something that you most guys don't have coming in out of college, and so I thought that was pretty exceptional with him. So what would you rather have Beasley become, an outside linebacker or, or a defensive end rusher? Um, you know what? I look – 
I I love the idea of having a guy like that. I mean, was he about two sixty five or something like that? I, yeah. I love the I love the mismatch guys. To where if you have an outside linebacker with that kind of size, those are the kind of guys that always get plugged in at Baltimore early on, and they wind up having a bunch of sacks because half the time they're being blocked by tight ends or running backs, and neither of those positions like to or want to block. And so they don't work at it, and they wind up having a lazy cut, or um, they're just kind of – I mean, that's not what they work at. They're, they're dividing time, and their time spent working on their pass blocking is about 10% of their time. And so they're never going to be very good at it. And any time you can get a matchup of, a, of an athletic, gifted outside linebacker on a tight end, um, that's – that's a, a mismatch, and that's something you want to try to take advantage of. So I like the idea of if the team is the right fit for him, you can have him play outside linebacker. Um, the one caveat is outside linebackers also need to cover in space, and I think the jury's still out on it. I don't think he, he didn't have to do a lot of that in college. and so what No, he didn't, and that to... was going to be my next question. Can he mm-hmm. cover the back out mm-hmm. of the backfield? Can he cover the tight end off the line of scrimmage? I do think yep. that's a question that Vic Beasley never really answered at Clemson, and I think that's something that's going to have to be answered real quick in training camp by whatever team takes him. Yep. Yeah, no, some of that's a character issue in my opinion. It's whether or not it's important for him to get that well. Some guys are like, I do this well. I'm going to continue to work on the things that I know I do well, and I'm just going to – I'm okay with being okay at this because I know I'll still be on the field. The real prideful guy, the guy that's like the consummate professional, the rookies you like to have in the locker room are the ones that are looking to become a complete player and are not satisfied with doing one thing great. They want to be – uh, great at all the things that they touch. And so if he hasn't worked at it before, he's athletic enough, obviously, to be able to cover a tight end uh, or at least cover him to the seam and then pass him along or to be able to cover up a, a, a running back coming out of the backfield. I don't think there's any question that he can physically do it. It's whether or not he wants to do it. And the other thing I would say in his defense, if there is a defense, is that with Davo Sweeney at Clemson, they didn't want him to cover anybody. They wanted him to get to the quarterback. They wanted him to get to the backfield as often as he possibly could. And so whatever pass defending skills he may or may not yeah. have had was really not something they were interested in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's not an indictment against him at all of what he did in college. I mean, he maximizes his opportunities. It's just a question of like, okay, now, what uh, are you going to be a one-trick pony or do you really want to be something exceptional? And uh Uh, If he's being asked to play outside linebacker, I mean, he can be exceptional, but he can't be a liability half the time and an all-star the other half. I mean, that might get you to rookie of the year status, but it might not get the respect of your teammates and kind of the long-term how great you want to be. uh, That that comes with uh, being the the complete player. I mean, even Deion Sanders, that hated covering the – uh, uh, the run would still stick his nose in there because he never wanted to be the guy that uh, made the highlight films. And I mean, he got actually pretty good at, at going low and taking guys' legs out because he never wanted to be the guy that couldn't make a tackle. That was, and so it's it's a prideful thing, I think, more than anything. 
Well, let's face it. In Dion's case, the last thing he wanted to see was that guard or tackle coming at him because that was not oh, going to yeah. be a good thing no, for no. him. He would avoid the the big boys at all costs. But if he had if he had to make that open field tackle with a running back or something, he was. I mean, it wasn't something he liked to do, but he wasn't going to be a liability to his teammates by by not working at it, not not being at least at the least adequate. I would say. And you wonder in Vic Beasley's case, the last thing I'd ask about Vic is you do wonder if he understands the deficiencies that may be involved in his game at the moment and if he's been advised that those are things that he needs to start working on right away. Yeah, no, I mean, I haven't watched enough film to really see if he's a guy that takes plays off or anything, but like you said on Clemson, I mean, he wasn't asked to do certain things, so it wasn't like he was a liability. It just was something that... It, it, he's he might be asked in the right in a certain system to do more than he's he's maybe comfortable with, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's uh, um, some guys are big running backs in college that are being asked to convert to fullback, and it's something you've never done. But you know what? If you want a job in the NFL, this is what you're going to need to do. Oh, absolutely, and I, and I do yeah. wonder if that makes Vic a bit more of a specialized player in his first year because there may be some concerns about his ability to uh, uh, to play pass defense. Yeah, I mean that, but that also, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that wants to be a um, a one one and three downs uh, pass rush specialist, especially if you if you're if you're a top five pick, which, like you said, he's he probably will be unless there's a run on a certain position early on, but most likely he'll be he'll be the first defensive player taken off the board. I would say um, the the last thing you want to be is not be an every down player. I mean, um, the, and so it's I, I think it I think he'll step up to the plate if he's the kind of guy that most guys that are made it this far. I mean, they would. I don't know. I can't imagine not coming to the league. And for me, it wasn't about, okay, I got drafted. Ooh, I made my goal. It was about, you know what, I felt, and it wasn't the payrolls that they are now And uh, as a rookie. I mean, I was a four-year, $3.2 million guy as, as 19th pick, and it's a ton of money, don't get me wrong. But uh, I felt like, you know what, they're paying me this. I can't not be – someone that they at the end of the year say, you know what, we got our money's worth. It just was something that was a non starter for me. I, I was gonna find a way one way or another. And so I don't think like I said, Vic Beasley's it's not that he doesn't have the physical skills that he was being over to asked to do too much. He's just gotta be willing to know it. He might have to spend extra time after practice. He might have to grab a vet and say, hey, I, I need to learn everything you know now in these next two weeks so that game one in the regular season, I can be the best teammate I can be for you. And so you tell me what time you need me in the film room and I'm there, I'm your shadow. Uh, I mean, that's what I did. I mean, and, uh, it was uh, uh, a guy named Reggie McElroy who was a journeyman backup left tackle right tackle. He's back to me and Chris Hinton. And he's like, okay, Rook, we'll be here at six. And then I was like, okay, you got any time after, uh, after practice? I want to work on my sets. Would you stay out with me? And 
those are the things that it takes. It's, are you going to be a pro is what Chris Carter used to put in. So being a pro is doing what's necessary to be ready. And so, Vic Beasley, that's the question posed to you. Are you going to do what, what you need to do to be ready come the first game one of uh, regular season? And I would think in his case, if he does end up being a top five pick, I think the Giants might be the one that could really um, help him to elevate his game because, I mean, I've been a fan of Tom Coughlin since he was coach here at Boston College. So uh, I've been able to see him as, as a coach of a college team and, and now what he's done in, in the pros. I would think that that's a staff that really could maximize what Vic Beasley could give them if, in fact, he's still there for them. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, where are the Giants? Are they at number five or are they four? Uh, I think I'm sorry? Uh, Giants are at nine. Uh, oh, they're nine? Okay, I'm sorry. Raiders, Raiders are at four, and the Redskins are at five. Okay, okay. It's uh, Well, the nice thing is that all those teams at the top, uh, they all have lots of needs, and so uh, um, oh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm always interested in to see what the trades are like. I think that that's one of the most interesting things with the draft is seeing how things move around and what pieces go where. Because uh, someone falls in love with somebody, and usually, whether it be the RG3 trade, uh, where the Redskins wind up giving away everything in the kitchen sink, it's uh, it's. Uh, I I just find that part really kind of intriguing because there's going to be someone that makes a move. That usually, the pieces don't stay static. Well, and you brought it up. I mean, if if the rumors are true that Philip Rivers might get traded by San Diego, or if, or if the Vikings decide that Adrian Peterson is someone that they need to trade, that could easily shake up how that first round plays out. Yeah, or even no, more absolutely. than the first round. I still don't understand the Philip Rivers thing, though. It's like, I, I mean, the fact that like he, I'm leaving if uh, I want to be traded if we're going to be moving from San Diego. I mean, uh, it's not like that's across country, and uh, I mean that's my backyard. So I grew up in LA, and uh, it's. They're really kind of extensions of each other. I don't know. It just seems like there's something not right there that the information coming out just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, I've, I, look, I, and, and to your point, I would say this. I've always wondered why the city of San Diego would have been willing, to some extent, to build a baseball team for the Padres, and yet they seem unwilling to take care of the San Diego Chargers, or at least work out some sort of a deal that uh, would allow them to stay. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, Yes. You know what, the municipalities and the different, I mean, the there's a lot of municipalities that have made decisions in the past where they, they can't afford what teams have done years and years ago. And so there's kind of a whole different financial uh, decision-making process. But, I mean, you think about San Diego is, I mean, ideal weather, obviously. They could probably get away if they were to present something to the NFL where they could get two Super Bowls over like a 10-year period in San Diego. The financials behind that, I mean, you could wind up bonding out the the investment from a city standpoint, municipality standpoint, uh, based on the revenue that's going to be associated with those two Super Bowls. Uh, I mean, if Detroit can get one Super Bowl, uh, surely San Diego could get two. But the thing I get, uh, the, the thing I have a problem with that is you're talking about a franchise that's been in San Diego since the early '60s. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, the NFL a couple years ago came out with their like their master plan, kind of 
master vision, and they they wanted to try to get up to I want to think, say it was thirty eight teams or something. The only way you do that is by keeping everybody in place. I mean, the brand, uh, the damage to the NFL brand by moving mm-hmm. Cleveland to Baltimore and then bringing another team in. Uh, it, I mean, that hurts. That hurts the entire NFL. Uh, you can't tell me it doesn't. And the number of San Diego Charger fans that will be disenfranchised literally and figuratively by a move like that, I mean, that's something that you're kind of like having to restart the relationship all over again because the damage is done. It's, it's, the, it's like a cheating spouse. It's like there's never quite a full reconciliation, even if they don't separate. <laughs> that's an interesting and, way of putting it. That was an interesting was analogy. Okay. It. That's a great analogy. And, and it's such a difficult sport. It's not even town sports state, right? I mean, you've got to – if you move the charges, then you have to move – and I guess another team, and they have to fight with uh, the several but great see, that's basketball the point, teams, Martel. the several I think great if the charges leave, yeah. If the charges leave, I don't think anyone's going to move into San Diego because the issues with the municipality is not going to change. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that was really enlightening to me is when I heard Bob Kraft at the owners' meetings a couple of weeks ago state that he believed within two years – there was going to be two teams in the L.A. market. Right. He was talking about Oakland and San Diego. That's what he was talking about. Well, I mean, no, I'm – I think St. Louis. I, 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 St. Louis, I don't, I don't, St. Louis is – I mean, the fact that Cronkie um, has land in L.A. in an area that is very desirable for a stadium – at the very least, now the guy's got land all over the country. Don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, he basically yeah, buys right. he buys right. land for Walmart. That's his business, uh, and then sells it to his wife's family, who uh, the Waltons. And so, I mean, uh, the guy's got a money tree and then some. But uh, the he doesn't have any. There's no ties of his family to San, St. Louis, and so it's financially, it's definitely in his best interest, and if. Uh, if he's given the opportunity, I think that he might take it. The one issue I think the the ownership a couple of years ago made wise decisions to strengthen the way that existing franchises, the municipalities, basically have right to first refusal. They put uh, put together a stadium package that is within reason considered a NFL quality stadium that they basically. The, the team can't move. Uh, it's like a good faith agreement, if you will. And so the the ball's in St. Louis's court, uh, city of St. Louis, whether or not they're able to – they got the plans drawn up, but whether or not they can get the finances behind it, uh, that, that – I mean, I live in St. Louis, and uh, so the jury's still out whether or not that's going to happen. But the, the financial picture's – difficult for them as just as much as it is for other municipalities. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh the one thing uh you know I, I really like the way that you're talking about, you know, with St. Louis and everything like that. You know, I really you know, me personally I hope they do stay in I do St. Too. Louis. Um you know, I think that'd be smart for them too. Uh, I wish we had more time, but we're starting to we're starting to wind down on our time. Todd, we're definitely gonna have you back on once the lap uh, the app is launched. That way we can get more of an in-depth and even a demo on it as to yeah, how, no. it, how it works yeah, in the pro itself. 
Absolutely, and I'd love to have further conversations. I'm actually in Chicago with my development team. We just got done with the for the night, but uh, we're working on our fantasy apps for the fall that are, uh, uh, I mean, if the Scout site app is, and I think it is, it's a, it's a leap from what's currently out there and really kind of moves the needle as far as what fans can expect. Uh, the fantasy tools, are, I think, are going to be a quantum leap. It's really going to redefine the way that, uh, that uh, uh, fantasy participation can happen. How it, It's going to open up the doors to a whole number of people that previous maybe didn't consider getting involved in fantasy drafts and fantasy football because it was too intimidating. I think it's going to – it's going to be pretty exciting. So I look forward to talking to you guys about that. Well, I tell you what, I, I can't wait for that now because you can help me win the championship. Uh, I had to give up my throne this year. So hopefully with these uh, array of new apps that I can play with, uh, I can hopefully win my, my championship league again. Absolutely. <laughs> but thank you again for taking time out of your evening oh. and uh, uh, to come no, on. Thank and you, guys. Give us more of an insight. We truly appreciate it. No, thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and have a great night. Hey, you too. Thank you, Todd. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. Boy, that was awesome. Uh, That was legit. Uh, We need to make sure that we keep getting him on. Uh, It's always fun to be able to pick a former pro's brain on basically the draft process and how it works. But what what can you do, guys? I wish we had more time. Uh, We don't have any more time this evening to talk about NFL draft stuff, but Rest assured, it ain't going to be very long. Uh, wait for us next Wednesday, if you'd like. will be our two-hour draft special, or basically me and Montel and, and John Doucette will basically run through everything that we can see happening uh, coming to the NFL draft. I want to say thank you, Montel, and thank you, John, for taking time out of your evening as well to help us put on this, uh, this great show again. Until next time, folks, have yourselves a good evening and a good rest of your week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.